0: If you enjoy the Persistent and Nasty podcast and support the work that we do, please like, download, subscribe and review each episode. It really does help us get our message out and our incredible guests heard to as many people as possible. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I hope that you are taking care of yourselves, doing whatever you need to do to just keep going and get through the day. Um, I have some strange hybrid of a cold and a hay fever, so this is going to be a nice short introduction. Today I chat with the brilliant, wonderful, joyous Sarah Miele. We cover everything from drama skills to the tools that you really need when you leave, your training to be... To keep yourself grounded, well, not even grounded, just to um, keep yourself mentally healthy, physically healthy in this industry. We also talk about the joy of storytelling and um, working with young people and all the different facets and all the other hats that we wear as performers to survive in this wonderful, strange, eclectic, ever changing. Slightly unsteady, inconsistent (laughs) industry of ours. You can follow us on all social media. Twitter at persistent nasty, Instagram at persistent and nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us an email and we really want to hear what Persistent and Nasty means to you. So send it on over to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can follow both Louise and I on social media as well. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Ms. No, I'm not. I don't have a Ms. I am at <laughs> Elaine it on Twitter and elaine.stirrit on Instagram for today's episode well I'm definitely having something warm so maybe a hot toddy um, unfortunately it's not the time of year for mulled wine but that does sound rather appealing uh, maybe some fruit juice like a little tropical one uh, vodka, gin, rum beer, wine I mean really as always whatever you want but you know you could just have a good old cup of tea, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yeah, you're good, and obviously you sound great because you're in your proper little studio.
1: Ha huh. ha! Cal was like, "You have to
0: sound good," but the audio story company, you have to sound really good. <laughs> I mean that that is a fair. That is fair. Very fair. And when mm-hmm. did you guys build your little studio? Well, so we moved house last
1: summer, about a year ago. So in the flat, we had a studio that we'd built during lockdown, like in a cupboard. Like, you know, the sort of tenement flats was one of those massive high ceiling cupboards. And that was like our very first lockdown project. Um, and which was amazing. I do miss that cupboard. It was very warm, but I do miss it. Fond memories in the, in the cupboard. Fond um, memories in the cupboard. memories. <laughs> fond memories. <laughs> and then this one, we we sort of built when we moved house but it was like it was a cheat like the cupboard felt like we were actually building it because we had to like you know rip stuff out and paint and put all the foam in and soundproof in whereas this was one that we ended up buying like you know the metal frames that you put together and then all the foam sort of magnetically attaches which is really cool and there's the option of a wee window so I can like wave at Callum when we're (laughs) recording (laughs) Um, so yes we've just had this since we moved house and it is yeah it's good it's just very dark as you can tell I feel like,
0: you yeah. You still look great, though. You still look great. I mean, I should really introduce you, Sarah Miele. Welcome to the Persistent <laughs> Nasty podcast. This is a dream come true. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on. I'm so excited. Um, so, for our listeners, this is your chance to give your potted history. Oh I say this, and sometimes people think I mean plotted history. And I'm like, well, you know, we're we're all performers. We could be plotting it as well. But, <laughs> uh, no.
1: Potted history. <laughs> potted history. Okay. So I am Sarah Miele. I uh, I, I was um I'm from Edinburgh and I now live in Glasgow. Glasgow is my second home. And my potted history. Yeah, <laughs> Elaine's like, yes, Glasgow. Um so I'm an actor, a facilitator, a voiceover artist, theatre maker, wearing all the hats. Um and I guess for me. It was a bit of a long journey to get here. I think when I was younger, I always knew I wanted to do drama. I was always that really (laughs) annoying child, sorry, mum and dad, that was like putting on shows in their living room and like had the wee microphone and was hosting like quiz shows for everybody or
0: my god, or doing like that was my
1: thing. Yeah, but also I was yeah, radio shows oh the best but then also i got i got quite good because i was starting to charge as well like a pound entry for like my shows in the living room and stuff so (laughs) entrepreneurial from the beginning um yeah and then i think i was quite lucky at high school we had a really good drama teacher that really um I guess like nurtured me and looked after me and was so supportive and lovely Um, who actually retired just when I left so it was like perfect timing that I had her and had her like uh, I guess experience and stuff Um, and then I was doing drama stuff outside of school and I was like oh I think I want to go to drama school like I don't really want to go to university but then it took me ages to get into drama school so I ended up auditioning like five times um, to get in and eventually went to rcs and i don't know why i kept applying i don't know what made me keep going back to drama school it was just pure stubbornness i was like they yeah. will let me in one day they'll see how great i am and i'm going to again um but it was really i think that's because, like, so
0: important that people hear that though as well because totally. i think there's that thing of people just assume that you get into drama school like straight away and mm-hmm. everything's fine actually it's not for the majority of us it's not like that at all
1: and I think yeah. there's that
0: thing as well like depending on where you're auditioning for as well it's they can be planning their year like their mm-hmm. end of your show mm-hmm. and who the balance of the year group yeah
1: oh yeah there's so many factors that are totally out with your control but and also drama school isn't the be all and end all yes I went in the end but I know so many people who didn't or who did alternative ways of training and like you know, the main thing is you never stop learning on this job anyway. So however you learn and gain experience, like it's totally valid. For me, I guess drama school felt like a really obvious way that I could latch onto and like, not like a fast track, because it is like three years of your life, but it felt like it was everything in one place. So if you were able to do that, it felt quite easy. You didn't have to go searching for all the things individually and put them all together, get your yeah. experience and your training, you know, but that, but that is still part of what you do anyway, even after if you've yeah. gone to drama school.
0: So... I think the you thing know, with drama schools is, and the kind of like the level of like RCS, for example, or, you know, Lambda or Guildford or like mm. Bristol, Vic or RADA is that it's, they're more of a doorway into the industry and that sense mm-hmm. of the industry connections that they have is probably, yeah. I think, the only difference of le- of doing it that way than doing it a different way.
1: Yep. Yeah, totally. It's like a launch pad because if you go to people oh I trained it here, they go, Okay, they sort of can latch on to that. Yeah. Whereas I guess if you don't, you have to maybe have a credit or someone that you know that you've been working with to sort of go, Yes, I've got this person to vouch for me or this job I've done. So yeah, it is but you know, and drama School isn't perfect either. We can we can get into the ups and downs of that. drama school. But yeah, so eventually I eventually got in fifth time, um and I did loads of great stuff in between leaving school and going to drama school lots of drama and non-drama related jobs activities and stuff which i'm so grateful for looking back and like i don't know where i would be without that time that i ended up having and then went to drama school and then have since leaving rcs have been trying to make a career for myself in the arts in various forms uh, and i do love acting but i'm also feel like i'm doing much more than just performing now which i really love too but acting is always going to be there I think Mm. yeah
0: yeah I think I think the reality is now it probably always has been I think maybe we're just maybe a bit more vocal about it now about all the different hats that you've got to wear yes to stay in this industry
1: Mm -hmm. and I think that is something that well in my experience I don't know what it's like now that drama schools don't in my in my opinion and experience don't necessarily prepare you enough for I don't
0: think no Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm
1: I confident no there Elaine
0: confident (laughs) low no mixture of cold and uh, hay fever this morning um yeah confident low no no they don't because they kind of just put you out there and you're like oh Mm -hmm. shit yep
1: they don't do enough I think to burst that bubble for you Mm -hmm. they sort of create this bubble and then go ah pop out you go and there's just not enough honest conversations. And it's not about being negative either. It's just about preparing people, giving them the tools they need, being realistic, building resilience. You know, I, I just think that's so, so important. And I think I kind of had a bit of that because I had so much rejection early on. I was like, cool, yeah, okay, bring it on. Let's do it. And I still find it hard and all that. And there's still things that I'm learning. But I, I just think, especially when you get in when you're like really young to drama school, like 17, 18 and it is different for everybody but i just i think they have a responsibility to give more to their students in preparing them um, in that sense you know for the reality yeah. of it
0: yeah I, I, I completely agree because i think also um i'm sure you saw the equity of done a whole um case study on mental health within the arts mm-hmm. um and 60% of all actors um suffer some form of mental illness, mainly depression. Yeah. And I think that yes, that's partly because our 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 lives are part are so full of rejection, but Mm -hmm. it's because you're not prepared for it in any way, shape or form, I think is a huge thing because most people have longed to do this since they were a kid. And like you're holding on with every little bit of you. And then you're like, I did it, I went to drama school or I got into college or I got my first job. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all going to start taking off. And then it doesn't
1: mm-hmm yeah and i think it's about reframing success as well yes. What i we think of as success yeah. <laughs> i'm loving this this is why i love this podcast and i'm so excited to be on um i feel like i'm probably i'm not reinventing the wheel here i'm sure there's lots of people that have said this in different ways and there's people that will agree but there is a lot of like oh the success is get working in theater getting your big jobs getting your tv jobs your film jobs and all this But I don't think there's enough credit for all the other work that we do and how and that the value we place on all the other jobs and all the other work that we do because they're just as important and valid and often the value that we give and get from the other jobs we do is just like so much more than we can get sometimes from acting jobs. And I've done acting jobs that I've hated as well, even though I love acting. Like, do you know, it's... Nobody it's, ever ta- tells you that at drama school no, either.
0: Like, you're never, you're never not. warned about that one. mm they do not. <laughs> like, you know, you, you might be working with a cast that don't gel. Yeah. And there could be company cunt and... Multiple even. Multiple. <laughs> and how do you... Nobody warned you of how to navigate that.
1: Yeah. And also the fact that with mental health, especially, you can be doing really well, whatever that means, and still be unhappy and unfulfilled. So it's like finding that is just as important as getting the jobs and doing the work. Do you know? And and I'm saying that as someone who's still very much learning that. And I have struggled recently with like a lack of self confidence and work and having to come back to like, how do I be happy just every day with where I am and what I've got? Because I feel like the actor's curse, one of the actor's curses is like, you're either always... This is what I do. You're either always looking back and playing down what you've done, or you're always looking to the next job, so you're never like happy enough. And like that's no way to live, is it? Like you have to sort. And it's okay to feel like that, and feel like that sometimes. But it's about how you work through that and find the balance because that's going to make you happier as a person. But I think it'll make you a better actor too if you're not like having to cling to jobs and you know. And I'm totally still learning that. Totally. I think.
0: I think. I think everybody is yeah I know I actually (laughs) said at the start of the podcast last week about um just the last few weeks I've had a really like kind of dip and like question all my life choices yep yep Like, what am I doing uh why am I still doing this should I still be doing this like you know Mm -hmm. you then start to doubt your talent you then start to doubt your worth and But it's about finding a way out of that, and I think Mm -hmm. all those things that you've just said about finding the joy and all the other stuff as well. Yep. And as you say, let's not let's reevaluate what success is because totally. I'm Mm -hmm. most of the time. I'm like, it's been a successful day if you have managed to get up out your bed and gone out of the house because the world is really fucking shit. Mm Hmm. Yeah. So if you've managed to get out and have a conversation with someone and who knows you might have made somebody else smile today yeah yes exactly I love that <laughs> like it's the might, little things you might have and just like to remember that yeah I mean nobody gets it right all the time and nobody in real no. make, but yes yeah I totally get that and I think don't think it matters how long you've been doing this job there's always going to be those moments right yeah
1: and i think because acting and there's other jobs like this too it's one of the sort of occupations where it's hard to separate your work and your life i think like if i was an accountant i'd probably come home and be like yeah cool whatever or like but like you know people like actors people like doctors and people in the medical profession people who really like put themselves out there and have something that's very like emotional and i know those things jobs are wildly different like i get that but it's, there's certain jobs or people that work with young people or teachers like there's some jobs that it's really hard to leave it behind or to separate yourself like yeah each in a different way but I think that's one of the problems with acting is like it's really hard to not define who you are by your job which is yeah both great but also dangerous I think at times definitely
0: yeah really dangerous that's such a good point Sarah it's that thing of like don't let being an actor define you Mm mm-hmm it it's part be- of
1: who you are but it's, it's not who you are. everything it's
0: absolutely but it can't and the job can't be your life
1: no no that's such a good thing listen to this whoever's listening and needs to hear
0: this <laughs> the job cannot be your life <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise you're just going to be in a constant spiral yeah there's so much uncertainty it's just not yet yeah, it's not worth it yeah Anyway, getting back to, <laughs> but yet here we are both in the industry. So, <laughs> yeah. so five times you auditioned for drama school, got into RCS, and then did, yeah. you did three years there. Yes, on the acting yes. course, obviously.
1: Yes, on the BA on the BA acting course, uh, which I think has changed. I left six years ago, so I think it has changed. You are just a baby, six years ago. I am just a baby. I know. <laughs> although oh my goodness I recently got to the stage where my whole career has been built on playing people younger than I am and I still think I do it younger than my age
0: you absolutely do
1: but when you put me next to like a teenager, I am not a teenager anymore, Elaine. Very much not. And I'm suddenly like, oh my God. And I, recently there was like a job I really wanted. And they were like, they basically said in a really, really lovely, kind way that I was too old. They were like, we want someone closer to the age of a teenager. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm 30. Oh, yeah, I'm 30. That's, that's definitely not 18 or 16 anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's not me. Yeah, those ones are hard. Like, when you mean, that like, <laughs> is weird. Yeah it's um when you start getting the mum rolls and you're like
1: I'm quite excited for that though actually only because I'm the kind of person that's like still gets ID'd all the time so yeah I'm quite excited to be like yeah I look adult and responsible
0: (laughs) I'm gonna sneeze oh no bless you we're good we're back (laughs) <laughs> it's like I know because the, the thing is like that shift is really interesting. That one that happens, like mm. and I don't I want to know from our male counterparts when that happens, that happens for them. Yes. Because it really is something that as a female kind of happens pretty damn quickly. Like all of a sudden you're going from like 22 23, ingenue, all of that, you hit 26, and all of a sudden you're a mum. Mm. I remember going for an addition, and I didn't even look 26 at the time, but I was I was 26 and I was going for an addition an to play a mum of three kids. No, that's I was bad. then like, okay, cool. Maybe I started having my kids at 16 grand, mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. like totally, or maybe maybe I had them at 20 and I popped them out two years apart. But I was just like <gasps> And then basically what happened was I got called in for the audition, did the audition, it was all on camera, and they were like, oh, you look too young. And I was like, for fuck's sake. For goodness sake. But it's also that thing of, like, at 26, I was all of a sudden auditioning for parts of a a mum of three. And I'm sure when it happens for the guys.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested in that. The only time I can think of it happening, I think this was just, like, it's not really a good example. I think this is like an anomaly. I did a play with Andrew Rothney. Uh, and I, just because at the time I looked so young, I was playing his daughter, but he was only, in reality, I think I was, I must've been like 24, it was six years ago. And then he was maybe 30, 31, 32. So he would've had me when he was like five or six, which is not realistically possible. But my character was like 12. Did you yeah. know what I mean, his character was like, I think like 20 something, Um, but I'd still had like, the child when they were very very young but it was just so weird so i guess that's an example but like that i don't think it happens the same with guys and even when they're older like they just become a character that's older they don't necessarily become a dad do you know what i mean like is that de- yeah. I, feel, I feel like our character stereotypes very much become set whereas i think guys can sort of be anything at any age
0: i don't yeah, know we're, we're still unfortunately doing that whole um maiden mother crone thing that is like you know yeah. that's our three our three levels that's it that's all that's all we got yeah ingenue Apparently. wife mother-in-law <laughs> like, oh, okay. I roll here just like oh <laughs> yeah um so after RCS and well I mean do we Sarah do we want to talk about drama skill and the ups and downs of that do we, Elaine? Do we? I I feel like yes, but
1: because I've now named RCS, you are great. I feel like I will be honest, but perhaps not detailed. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: just as drama skills as a whole, because I think we've got we have probably both got so many stories from various yeah. different people who have gone to different places, yeah. um, and actually yeah. those kind of similarities that run through them.
1: Yes, yes, I think. yeah the biggest thing for me is already what I've said about the preparation for the reality of the industry in like a kind way but just giving you the actual tools to survive it Um, and I think there's a lot of politics in drama school as well Uh, one example that springs to mind is kind of like I I just feel like the competitiveness starts so early. Like Mm. when you start casting shows and then like you come, you start with this like group of people are like, oh, we're going to be best friends. We're going to learn together. We're going to be supportive. And then suddenly it's like, you've got that part. I've got this part. That's not fair. This and that. And it all becomes like competitive, like not super quickly. And there's definitely,
0: I've lost my train of thought here because I'm already thinking about so many stories in my head. I know. Do you know what it is? I think there's something and um. I think it's actually rather than for that, because that, that's natural, right? We all, yes, usually We all want to be like the center of attention and don't tell me. Absolutely. Because you, you do. Not you. I mean, yeah. people, when they say, oh, no, yeah. no I want to be an actor, you do. There's a part of you that does. You also want to do all the other stuff that goes with it, but there is a part yeah. of you that does that. I think what it is, is there's this lack of clarity on you are an ensemble. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think if that's made really clear at the beginning that you're in it, you are literally in it together. Yeah. Whatever you're at. I think if that was like clear at the start, that would be really helpful.
1: Yes. And I think there should be more emphasis on learning and making mistakes. Because when you leave, you realize you've just left the safest place to ever be to like make mistakes in your in your career do you know what I mean and I feel like people are so quick in drama school to be like I don't like that that doesn't work for me I'll do this great that's me I'm done I'm ready to go like the and people stop taking like risks I think or or I don't know I just think it's such a great environment for learning and I don't know if I maybe took advantage of it enough but I feel like there's pressure that either people put in themselves to be like because well, you get marked and graded in drama school as well which I never really understood because I don't know it's just not that kind of course do you know what I mean you're doing stuff to pass exams and
0: yeah it's such there's a also, weird Also, there's setup. also a thing about I kind of feel about like how do we actually mark that though because every audience uh, yeah sees something different in some performance right you know, totally. we all know this. We can go and see films. You and I could go and see the same film or watch the same TV show. Yeah. And you might love one person. And I might be like, oh, no, I didn't really enjoy that. But I really loved what they did. And therefore, like, if you're remarking, it's just like, oh, it's just weird. Yeah,
1: it's like, I, I get that with, like, reviews. Like, I get the sort of purpose of a review. But, like, it's just one person's opinion. I don't really understand, like, how we hold that to such high esteem and maybe I don't know you can come at me if you're a reviewer but I, I maybe I don't get the intricacies of it but it is ultimately like opinion isn't it like so then how yeah so then going back to drama school how do you grade that how do you mark that
0: um yeah it's so difficult I mean it's true but that's true about what you've just said about reviewers I was doing a show um and I won't mention the reviewer of the show but basically there's a point in the show that's talking about. And um, what young girls experience daily from like the age of like 13 of cat calling and having to be aware of where you are and covering your drink and you know, all of mm-hmm. all of those things. And basically the reviewer went, nah, this doesn't happen. No, the, the reviewer was a man. And therefore, because he of course it was. And therefore, because he decided that, that didn't happen, he then went, so this plays really pointless.
1: Oh, that really annoys me that really like, annoys me. I mean he didn't
0: quite say it was really pointless that's you're being a bit dramatic there but it's he did dismiss it yeah but definite... that,
1: that's the problem though I don't understand how we can take one person's voice and be like yes this is the voice that we will all read and listen to I, I just don't understand it and like I've definitely been in shows that I've been reviewed well that I'm like this is terrific <laughs> like are you watching the same show that i'm in because uh, i don't think so and then other shows where we have had like the loveliest loveliest reaction from the audiences. it's been great and then the reviews are usually like nah and i'm like well it's not it's not for you or a show isn't made for the purpose of reviewing is it it's made for the audiences and for whatever they mm. want to get from it and take from it so i just don't, i'm sorry viewers but i don't understand your role it's all I, and i think it all comes down to the industry and the institution of it and money and finances and who funds what and then needing the right press and publicity and all this stuff that i'm like i don't really understand it's not i don't know it's not relevant to the people performing and the people coming who really enjoy theater and want to be there to watch it you know what i mean because it's just between those those people like what they take from it what they enjoy don't enjoy like other people i don't know i don't want to say aren't important but I, i don't understand why we put so much weight and significance on on reviews when it's just an opinion really isn't it
0: I think that's absolutely it right and I think they're there they have their purpose in and um, you know if any reviewers want to come and have a chat happily have you <laughs> um like so that we can have this discussion but so as hopefully... you say it is one person's point of view and I think it's about us as an industry not holding that so much to a level because actually again talking about mental health that we're talking about I think Mm. that actors then get so caught up in that well some some actors just don't read reviews yeah Mm -hmm. they just don't read them and Mm -hmm. others do and then but then that can be so damaging as well because it can then like make you if you if that usually reviews happen at the beginning of your run and if somebody says something about your performance that could totally mess you up for the rest of the run
1: Totally, yeah. Or I've, I people that have let it derail them and you're just, yeah. Yeah, and people that are very adamant about do not read reviews and if anyone's talking about one, they're like, don't talk about it, I don't want to hear it, like absolutely nothing, good or bad, doesn't matter, like they just want
0: to switch off from it, which I totally understand, totally understand. I think this is, again, something that maybe drama schools need to start to talk about as well. Like, Yeah. the The whole reviewing and how you deal with that
1: yeah, because I feel like drama school either, and it changes throughout your time there, they're either really like hard on you and just like, you know, this whole thing of breaking you down, or just being like, this isn't good enough, this isn't right, blah, blah, or they do the opposite and they coddle you in a way and they go like, that's great, that's amazing, that's just fantastic what you just did, that's the best thing we've ever seen, when you know it's not. Like, it's something about being able to find the, the happy medium and have honest conversations, like be able to boost people, but also like be realistic. But I, I, think, I think for me what's more damaging, well, sometimes if you get an overinflated sense of that you're doing really well, it can be really damaging when you're kicked out and then you maybe don't do well in the industry. But I think it's worse, this idea, and we, they didn't do this at RCS that much, I don't think, or yeah, I don't think they did in my experience, but I know some drama schools are really big on the whole breaking you down thing, and I've just never understood that. What is that about? Like that's so just detrimental to to everything surely it has the opposite effect of everything that you would want to have it's a safe space to learn to make mistakes to you know to have that I, I don't know I just don't agree with that
0: yeah I <clears throat> I completely agree on that Breaking you down doesn't work mm-mm, really mm-mm. interesting I'm doing some stuff and with some students just now who are studying and um I caught myself actually repeating patterns of things that I had probably experienced when I was training. Just like yeah. things weren't going great, things people hadn't been doing the work that they should have been doing in preparation in a in a in a production, in rehearsals for a production. And I was like, this is what are you doing? Like get your shit together. But it's something that you said earlier, and it's about whether you take advantage of all that learning moments or not. And I think when you're at drama school, you don't always do it. So therefore, mm-hmm. when you're older and you're looking back at it and you're like, I'm like, I want to shake them and go, don't you know, this is what you, this is the stuff that you need to be doing just now so that you get to play and learn and make the mistakes. It's like, yep. by then had to, <clears throat> I had to check myself. And I, I like, but again, I'm really, I'm, I think we have to start taking responsibility. So I then mm. to all of them, listen, I did that because of da-da-da-da-da, and that's not fair.
1: Yeah. Because yeah, it, so that's great. Yeah, For you to recognise that and to be able to like pass that on, because I think the best thing about drama school is outside people coming in to work with you. That is the best thing, because some tutors and, and teachers at drama school stay there for years and years and years and years, which is great. And you know, they have a lot to offer in some ways. But I think when people come in from outside, that is the most valuable experience. Not just to make connections and be part of the industry, but just because they have the current lived experience because they can see from outside the bubble as well. They can give you different perspectives. And that's just so it's so important. So important because it is the bubble I think that it is good for the safe learning environment and making mistakes, but it's also not good for preparing you to kick you out because when you're out you're out like that bubble's gone you don't see those people that you spent three years with anymore like are not very much you know you don't have that same support network anymore you don't have the same access to that training and classes and people to talk to like you are on your own so it's it's finding that balance of the two things isn't it
0: yeah it really is it's funny it's just as you were think as you were talking there I was like I think it's why most actors love rehearsals the most yeah because you're like a family a group like (laughs) yeah I think it is because it's that thing of like that's what you talking about that support network that you have while you're training and those relationships that you cultivate and I think that's why for most of us I mean obviously we all still love the performing part of it but most actors I know when you speak to them like what is your favorite part about it it's like the rehearsals it's so true it's so true isn't it yeah yeah just that joy of being in a room with people and playing, mm-hmm. and like you know, it's one of those things that I really like when I'm not working or I haven't worked in a while because you know that happens. um mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I do miss the performing part of it, but then it's always the first thing I'm like, I miss being in a room with people. Yeah, it is
1: lonely, isn't it? Sometimes the career. I think that's what we were getting at earlier about finding that resilience and like finding the people to like. Support you, and I think that's one of the reasons we also take a lack of jobs so harder when we're in between jobs for so long because that's also sometimes your social life. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's, yeah. it's like because you don't have like like an office job where you have people that you see every day, and then you make plans with those work people like to socialize, and you know what's going to be happening. You have your plan and your schedule because you're there every day. But with acting, that like you never know when the next job is, and then it becomes a big like social. The socialization is really important, and people that. Are like you and understand the industry and what you're doing like that's where you often connect with them the most isn't it is the rehearsals
0: yeah you really do and it's the yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. now I'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> so after drama school Sarah what what happened for you I mean I know but you know <laughs> <way>. <laughs> um
1: I had quite a good run of luck I don't know if that's the right thing to say I'm really bad at talking about my achievements uh, but I'm going to because I want to get better at this. <sighs> um. So I was very fortunate after drama school um, just as I left. Uh, I won an award which was very cool for a short film that I did so I got a, a BAFTA Scotland New Talent Award for Acting Performance Female was the full title boop, uh, boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop. Um, it's sadly not in the shape of a BAFTA I always tell everyone it's a fake BAFTA but it does have BAFTA and the little BAFTA symbol on this lovely glass award so I'll take it it's a BAFTA yeah, it's a BAFTA <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at Tom Um yeah I'm really proud of that uh, sometimes I'm like oh it was 80s ago and it was nothing but It was a lovely experience to have because I hadn't done a lot of screen stuff at drama school. Um, It was a lovely project to be a part of. Like, I was really proud of it. Um, So it was just a lovely, I think, boost to have. Um, And then, yeah, I was lucky I had quite a few theatre jobs up in Scotland after leaving And then I moved to London for a year and I was in the West End, which again was amazing. Another like sort of dream come true that I never, ever, ever thought I'd get to do in my career. Um, And I was in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which was also quite cool as someone who growing up enjoyed um, those books uh, and films. um, And that was quite an experience. That was an amazing experience, but also like a really tough experience, really Mm. tough. And I'm so glad that I had that. Uh, and I very quickly was like, London, you were fun, but I don't think you're my home. Uh, and so I came back. I, I, Yeah, everyone's different. Some people love London and I enjoyed it. But I was like, this is a place that I come to visit. This isn't a place yeah. that I can live all the time. Yeah. Like, it was quite overwhelming. I was like, it's too much. Uh, also, bloody expensive. Like, how, so expensive. so much respect for the people that survive in London, because honestly, whew, Um, it is that
0: thing I always think in London like you walk out your front door and you've lost 20 pounds already it's just like gone
1: (laughs) it is mental and like I was so fortunate because I had a a contract for a year I had a job down there so like it was the best way to experience London and even then I was still like oh this is quite a lot I think I'll need a wee break (laughs) but it was weird because some people were like why why would you leave London like you're set up you just had a job like why would you leave it was so weird everyone was like you have to stay you have to stay in London and I was like "Mm, no I don't
0: (laughs) that's a really interesting thing right this idea of like our industry if you're not in London you can't have a career yeah
1: Uh, so it came especially from my sort of fellow like English cast members in particular who were just like but London. And I was like, you do know there's like theatre and arts and film and screen happening across the country, <laughs> not just in England, um, which I don't think is what they meant, but I think everyone just thinks London is like when you made it to London, that's the top, that's it, which is, I think still something we need to change our attitude in the industry a lot. Like, even the Olivia Awards, which, which are for a reason, I can't remember what it is, who they're funded or supported by, it is only for you're only eligible when you're in like certain London theatres or West End theatres, certain brackets you have to meet. But it's just weird that we caught like that there's still like a UK sort of theatre award, but they're only for London. Yeah. Like, it's just weird. I'm like, why don't we have one that is like the UK theatre awards that is Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland? Like, because there's so much like, yeah, going on, like Pride and Prejudice, sort of. It was amazing that they yeah. got recognised at the Olivier's, but they that would not have happened if they hadn't been able to make it to the West End. Which blows my mind, because I'm like, well, it was obviously good enough to win that award, but it wouldn't have even been on anyone's radar or recognised if it hadn't made it to there. So there is just a total London-centric thing that is still present now. I think it's getting better a little bit. Like there's so much going on in in regional theatre and there's so much stuff being filmed now in other places, but there's still that attitude that is like, London. And I'm like, hmm. Is it
0: the best, though? Is it? <laughs> well, That's it, though. I think it's we assume it's the best because it's London, because it's been told yeah. to us that that's like the whole thing. But actually, as you say, there's so many brilliant pieces of art and theatre and, and just various different types of performance happening all across the country. And I probably think yeah. that for those that live in the north of England as well, feel the same. Like yes.
1: Like yes. it's not,
0: they very much feel the same as the rest of us do. Like this whole London-centric mm-hmm. idea. Um... Or even
1: just, oh, do you know what really bugs me? I have to say this, and I'm sure it bugs everyone. When people talk about a UK tour and it's only England. It's only England they're going to. And I'm like, that's not a UK <laughs> that's tour. That's a UK that's tour. tour. It's an English tour. They do it all the time. It honestly it drives me mentally. And I'm like,
0: it's not the UK, it's England. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the UK <laughs> There are three other countries people Three other countries
1: Well now I'm like can I start saying that when I'm doing a tour of Scotland Can I be like I'm on a UK tour Like maybe I'll just I mean, start yeah. doing that
0: I think let's just do that <laughs> <you gonna
1: say>?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Like obviously were you in the first cast of Harry Potter
1: The second the right? Second okay, cast Yes okay. Which was a weird when, one
0: Yeah because yeah. when it opened it was just like Pfft.
1: Yeah, we we were still at that weird point, like the transition of it. Like, we still couldn't really talk about it. We couldn't tell people what we're doing. You know, we had to sign our NDAs. We were told <laughs> we were. It's weird now to think of it. We were told that you know, if you're going all out together somewhere as a cast, like don't take photos and let people know where you are. Um, you can't take any photos in the theaters and the dressing rooms. Like none of that, Like it was really so secretive still. Um which is weird now because now they've got like production photos, which was not a thing when I was in it. Not a thing. Um, Little videos and clips of the show and like all the like, all the secrets in terms of like who's in the show. I get not secrets as in like, how do they do the magic? But you you know, you know, now like everyone that's in it. Whereas before it was like, when we were taking over, it was like, no, you absolutely can't anything. And they had to like check your social medias and stuff and all. It was mental. It was mental. Um, So it was weird because I think in a way, I didn't like taint the experience but like now like when I'm seeing people like being able to post photos backstage and dressing rooms and of what they were doing like that would that's always a lovely part of being in a show isn't it mm-hmm. but then at the time because it was so secretive it was enough for people to be like you're in Harry Potter oh my god because they didn't know what it was so like it just still sounded really exciting but it was weird yeah like it was so funny
0: having to be so secretive about it all <laughs> yeah that's like but like a are we, are we spy, I was like, oh. It's interesting though that change as well, isn't it? Like how much more theatre stuff is now like put out online. Like whether it's on an yeah. Instagram account or Twitter account or there's a cast takeover day. Oh, it's huge
1: now. And also because Harry Potter has, uh, The Cursed Child has productions all over the world now. So when we took over, we were still the only production in the world. Halfway through our run, the Broadway cast started for the first time. And now it's literally in every country ever across the world. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's mad. Yeah. That, it's, like, it's, it's incredible. It's yeah. Totally incredible. And so after that, you then came back to Scotland because you were like, thanks
1: London. You've been great. Thanks, London, bye. And also, my my partner was like, he was like, we can keep doing long distance if you want, but I cannot move to London. And I was like, I get you, babe. It's, it's all good. I don't want to. I don't want to live in London. <laughs> bless him. He was just. He was not a fan. I remember one time on the tube, he was just getting so stressed at everybody. And bless being Scottish, he would like swear quite a lot, and he would use the c word, as we have used already in this podcast. And people no. in England don't seem to take <laughs> us kindly to that word. And I was like, calm. You really, you really can't be saying that in London on the tube, I was like, you're going to start a fight and I won't be able to help you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, we were like, let's, I'm going to come back to Scotland and me and my partner were very fortunate, we got a flat together and it was lovely. Um, And then yeah, it started really slowly getting back into the industry up here and it was really hard actually, if I'm honest, like, it was the hardest move even last year. Last year I still had someone ask me, oh, you not in London or like how long have you been back from London for and I was like years (laughs) years (laughs) so it's mad like yeah that reintegration back into the industry up here but um it started happening slowly but surely I started doing lots of teaching and facilitating work as well like bits of voiceover stuff and yeah it was it was Hard, but then yeah, eventually getting back into theatre here, did some lovely wee jobs, and then the pandemic hit, uh, which, <laughs> as we all know, which maybe it was like a year and a half after I'd moved back. So maybe that's part of the reason why, even last year, people were still like, Oh, are you back? because it was sort of like a year of a year and a half of very hard trying to like be like, I'm home, I'm back, and then everyone was in their wee, their wee lockdown bubbles, yep. right?
0: For a while, yep. so. <laughs> And then, so during lockdown, you started creating, like you built, as you said earlier, your own um, sound booth.
1: Yes, our magic cupboard. (laughs) And was that always a plan to start your own audio company then? No, it wasn't at all. And it actually is one of the silver linings of the last few years because we 100% would not have done that if it was not for the lockdown. And even when we sort of built the studio in our flat, actually mainly so that I could work from home and do voiceover stuff. And obviously, Cal, my partner, is a sound designer. He has all the equipment. And I was like, great, this is perfect. And then the reason Audio Story Company became a thing was really lovely. We were uh, trying to entertain my nieces during lockdown who were being homeschooled. And they were in Edinburgh, we were in Glasgow. So we were like Zooming and FaceTiming. And we decided to write them an audio story that was about them. So it was like Orla and Mara's adventure. And so I wrote this thing and I recorded it in Calm, like did some nice music and sound design and then we like sent it to them just like, Oh, that'll be nice, you know, they'll be able to listen to that. And my brother, bless him, sort of secretly filmed them as they were like listening to it and it was so cute, kind of seeing their reactions because every time they heard their names, they were like, Oh, like it's about us. It was so cute. Um, and they loved it, absolutely loved it. And then they were like, We want more, we want more, like what's next? And like they listened to it hundreds of times, just this one story. And my brother was like, This is this is a good idea. Could make this a thing? And I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe I had never thought about it. And then Cam was like, oh, let's have a think about, you know, what, co- what can we do with this? And then it sort of spiralled from there. Um, we made these like, audio adventures was the first thing that we did, which We were like, how can we create a personal experience for someone without making a story about them? Because it was quite time consuming. So we were like, let's talk to them as if it's like one on one. Let's get people to close their eyes and listen. We weren't sure if it was going to work. And again, we used my uh, nieces as guinea pigs. And um, the whole idea was, okay, get yourself somewhere comfy, close your eyes, we're gonna go on an audio adventure. And then we went on this like journey through a a space, a different place, so like a forest or an island or whatever it was. And then we had a reactivity sheet that we made up afterwards, like, okay, what did you imagine from all the things you heard? And anyway, so my nieces tried it out and I was like, I don't think it's going to work. And apparently the littlest one who was three at the time, I don't know if it was because it was Auntie Sarah's voice, but she literally was like, close your eyes. And she was like, went down, lay on the sofa, got all comfy and closed her eyes. And my brother was like, oh, she's probably just going to have a nap. And then she woke up like, or opened her eyes at the end and was like, I heard this and this, and I went on this adventure here and I did this. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. It actually, actually like this works. And then it just spiraled from there. and we had some ideas for like live shows and performances we wanted to do that were audio immersive and we thought about how we could do that and about like sort of silent disco headphone technology and we were very lucky early on to be supported by the Tron Theatre and that's when we made our first show The Happiness Collectors which I love I'm very fond of that show Um, again it was like a response to lockdown I'm so sorry I'm just gonna keep talking
0: is that okay absolutely (laughs) I'm absolutely loving it I'm like keep going keep going Um, I just love talking about this so we came up with I think it's so so lovely like it's just it's so important and it's such an early I think it being audio like there's a way you know that Mm. hopefully at some point any any child no matter what background they're from would be able to experience that and have their first taste of theatre and I just think that's so beautiful and so important and so vital and you know it's, they're still getting sounds and all of that but they're not they're off a screen tv phone like yes. ipad tablet away from all of that yeah. and you know it, it just i think the fact that it is audio it hopefully means that it doesn't matter what background you're from
1: i think that's what we were hoping like obviously it started being inspired by my nieces but I was like what's something we can give them that's a non-screen activity something that's creative something that also kind of maybe encourages mindfulness and especially in a time that we're going through when for children for everyone but I guess young people and children like their mental health was you know really taking taking having a toll taken on it is that the right word I don't know <laughs> what well, I was a trying toll. to say taking a, toll? taking a toll on their mental health yes that's it um so I was like you know how, what can we do to like help that, to tackle that. And then the idea for the first show became a thing because the Tron were looking for little tiny 10 minute pop-up pieces of what they were calling suitcase stories, little theatre pieces that could go to someone's back garden or to a bus stop or a park and just pop up for them in a time when we couldn't get into theatre spaces or be indoors or meet with lots of people. And so we came up with this idea of like, okay, we'll give everyone these wireless headphones um, and we'll have, you know, the costume and props will all be on the performance, It'll be the really light touch, there's no set. It's all created by what they hear in the headphones. And the idea behind it was um, we sort of wanted to do something that sort of was promoting joy and happiness. So literally we went for the happiness collectors with the idea being that the world supplies of happiness were running low which we felt like they were in real life so the happiness collectors needed help to top up these supplies so they were going to train up other people to become happiness collectors learn how to collect happiness so we do all these adventures on the headphones where you go different places like you go to the beach and collect sunshine you go to the finger olympics because exercise makes you happy and you know you shout out stuff that you fill your happiness box with for when you need it the most all, all these different things and then at the end it goes okay so Now we've collected a little happiness. A really important part of this job is sharing happiness. And there's only one way to do that. And that's by dancing. And then we just have a big dance off. So we were like in people's back gardens, just having like a boogie with them and their families. And just, it was great. And then everyone gets a wee badge at the end that says happiness collector because they are officially a fully trained happiness collector and they just go out and spread joy and happiness
0: that was really the idea behind it (laughs) I love it so much But but it's it's also that thing of like what you're doing is just reminding people of the little things that make us happy yeah
1: yeah it is it was all about the little things and I think what was really special from when we first did it like when we went to people's gardens with the Tron it was just beautiful like when kids would come out and be like there's something in my garden for me like happening it was just so magical to take it to people to take it to communities i'd have been
0: crying every day yeah
1: (laughs) it was quite emotional sometimes honestly it was and and we did the same we did a community tour of it around Ayr last summer and like again we went to people we went to like community centers we went to schools we went to like public parks and like you know went to people to where they were and I think there's something really interesting what you were saying about like you know young people's first experience of theatre and the accessibility of theatre because let's be honest theatre in this industry can be really inaccessible at times and I just think there was something really amazing and we're not like the first ones to do this but I really saw the value of like taking theatre and the arts to people and meeting them where they are and especially for like young people and that experience for them like what it means to them and some of the communities we visit in air, like don't get anything they just don't get anything they don't get the resources spent on them so some of these kids they were just like there's something here for us like it was amazing and I was like we need to do this more like I think yeah that was the best thing to learn from the lockdown was just thinking outside the box and 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 trying to make theatre accessible and yeah to bring those experiences to people
0: I just think is the best thing we can do I absolutely love it because it's so important because I think if we don't keep reminding ourselves of that we we're seeing it so much like with lack of funding in our industry and you know how much it costs to go to drama school and Mm. all of those things like we are losing out on generations of talent from different we really are. And also just how important actually the arts are in reminding of us our, of our humanity and our yep. connection with each other, our connection with our past, um, our future, just all of those things that theatre and the arts can do brilliantly. Yeah, it doesn't matter if those young
1: people don't go on to be artists or within the arts industry because like you're saying it gives them just so much like teaches you about humanity but it just gives you so many like transferable skills but it also just helps with their confidence like i've just seen amazing things happen for young people through drama and the arts like just having the access to that whether they go on to use that specifically or not in the future like i think it's about being seen and being heard it's something that the arts gives you isn't it
0: yeah it really does yeah. and we're so coming up to an hour and I'm like I can't believe it <gasps> really I'm so uh-huh. sorry <laughs> well, I don't why don't apologize do not apologize because I've literally loved every minute of it and I'm like I have so many more questions for you we might have to do a part two. <gasps> Oh my god not only have I just
1: been asked on the persistent and nasty podcast Elaine has just said she might invite me back again <laughs> I I, I, like mind. see
0: because I have so many questions yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's do a part two. Can we do a part two? Yes, we can. Of course, we can. I would love to. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. It's going to happen next week then. But, yeah. um, well, then I'm going to say, well, no, I'm going to ask you the question now because I'm then going okay. to ask you a different question mm. when we do our part two. <gasps> okay. Exciting. I know, love right? it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sarah Miele, what does. The persi- what does persistent and nasty mean to you okay also can
1: I just say I love the way you say my name thank you uh, particularly my surname you say it beautifully Elaine
0: oh thanks uh,
1: <laughs> so persistent and nasty means to me I've tried to think about sorry I have to interrupt articulate. you because
0: I also did as I was saying your surname I panicked because I was like it is me Ellie isn't it and I was like in my head yeah, do you know that way when you do that yeah. and you start having a panic and I was like <laughs> Because, obviously, being it. I get so many variations of it and people are like, oh, yeah. I don't know how to say her name, so I'll just not say it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I get
1: that all the time. Yeah. Funny, funny. We could do a whole podcast on the way people say our surnames. We absolutely could.
0: <laughs> um, continuing back to what does persistent and nasty mean to you?
1: So, <laughs> uh, persistent and nasty means to me... It means, I think, being resilient uh, in the face of, like, injustices, big and small, and not giving up, and not being afraid of what other people think of you as well.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, we are going to do a part two. You're not going <gasps> to You've so, put it on
1: the recording now. So. It's on. It's
0: there. No, it's definitely happening. I'm literally <laughs> going to be sending you a message and going, okay, here I'm free next week. This is what's going on. I love it. It's so exciting. Um, that was so brilliant. Thank you so much. And um, thank you. But we'll uh, speak to you next week, Sarah. Oh, see you then. <laughs> All right, lovely listeners. Until next time. Stay, stay nasty. Stay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes.